Welcome to Beer Life. My name is Jordan Foss, and I'm the co-founder and operator of Steel and Oak Brewing Company. A Beer Life is going to be a podcast chatting with the people behind the beer uh, in what's a pretty cool and collaborative industry. Um, we're going to explore why people got into it in the first place, what issues and trials and tribulations they've had since they've been in the beer industry, and where beer on a regional, national, international level has come from and where it's going and where the opportunities might be. Um, the goal is that beer industry folks and crap beer fans alike um, are going to learn a little bit about our industry and get a behind-the-scenes idea of, of what goes into making craft beer on a day-to-day and running the small businesses that we all have. Um, my first guest on Beer Life is Ben Coley. Ben is from the Belgian-inspired brewery Dagrad in Burnaby, BC. Uh, ben and I have known each other for a while. Um, we always tend to pick up the phone and bitch and moan to each other when something changes in the, the BC industry. Um, and we're also kind of the first to congratulate each other if anything good happens. Um, ben happened to win, uh, Ben and his team, I should say, happened to win uh, the 2018 Canadian Brewery of the Year. Um, so we're going to chat about how that's changed their life, um, as well as some of the pros and cons of running a brewery that just makes a specific regional style of beer, like Belgian beer. So here we go with the first episode of Beer Life. Welcome, Ben. <laughs> Hi, Jordan. So now that you're a big deal, um, how has your life changed? Oh, I'm a super big deal. I, uh, I don't know. I, mostly I get teased by you and a couple of other brewers. I don't think it's changed too much uh, about winning Brewery of the Year. But uh, yeah, you know, we're trucking along. And with, with I mean, I, I witnessed you guys win Canadian Brewery of the Year in Halifax and you weren't there. Uh, can you tell me what were you doing and were you actually paying attention to it? I, yeah, I, I was following, uh, following the live stream <clears throat> on, uh, at home on my computer. My kids were, you know, 18 months old at the time. I have twins, uh, a boy and a girl, and uh, they were crawling all over me demanding my attention. And I was just trying to watch this thing. And uh, we won a couple of awards for a couple of our beers. And, you know, I was starting to get a little bit excited and thought, you know, in the back of my mind, hey, you know, we might have won Brewery of the Year. Um, yeah, Brewery of the Year doesn't mean that you're the best brewery in Canada. I just, I just got to emphasize that for everybody. It just means that we're the brewery that did the best in that particular contest that year. Uh, and anyway, we, we did super well. We won a few awards, and then, uh, and then they announced it. I've got these, these two 18-month-olds you know, climbing up and down their dad. And, uh, and my, my parents were in town visiting me, and, uh, and they were in the room, and so was my brother. And they announced that we won. And uh, I don't know, everybody around me was way more excited than I was. <laughs> I immediately was struck with fear, the fear that most business owners have when they have a task in front of them. And my first thought was, okay, how do I not fuck this up? I need to, I need to make this work for us. Have you feel like you have made it work for you over the last year? Uh, not really. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm the most brilliant marketing mind out there. I think that at first, especially, we, we should have been making a bigger deal out of it to, you know, just sort of exploit it, you know, and, uh, you know, build the brand basically is, was with the opportunity we had and it, it worked to a certain extent. And I think that we, we got more notoriety out of this and just more people, you know, actually know our name in this incredibly crowded marketplace of 170 breweries. Is that what BC has right I, now? I it's something know. like that. Yeah, like, I can't keep track. It's hard to stand out in that and, and winning brewery of the year, the Canadian brewing awards sure helps, you know, it uh, sure helps to actually make you a na- uh, name that, uh, you know, sets you apart from the other 169 breweries in the market. And you mentioned that, you know, you didn't 
necessarily feel like you did a good enough job marketing the fact that you won or, or bragging. Um, I know like just from sitting across from you and, and from us being, you know, friends in the industry, um, I'd always feel like I, it was, you know, part of my duty was to help brag for you guys because you're, you're very humble. But I also think that's just, I think that's the industry as a whole. I, I know whenever we win an award, uh, which is not as many as you, but uh, when we do win the occasional award, I think it's the most difficult thing to put out there that, hey, look at us. We did something good. Celebrate, right? And do you think that's in just a, the nature of, of who the people are in our business as a whole? Or do you think that there are some people out there that love to brag about winning awards? I just noticed that, you know, even when Four Winds won Canadian Brew of the, the Year, I know it's on the back of their trucks and stuff, but, you know, and I feel like they did a pretty good job of marketing it. Um, but at the, at the same point in time, it's not like you see their cans blasted with, with you know, emblems and, and award logos all over it either. Although, you know, they've won pretty much everything, right? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of uh, the personalities that are in this industry. But it's, it's also just the nature of the industry that when we're, we're selling beer, we're not just selling the liquid. We're not just trying to convince people this is the best liquid. It's, you know, we're also selling a whole brand identity and nobody wants to identify with somebody who's a braggart, you know, and, and every brewery is conscious of that. You don't, you don't want to seem like you're, you know, you're, you're bragging because, you know, your brand is, is actually super important that way too. You want, you want to have something that people can identify with. So, I mean, it, <clears throat> you know, it, it's not necessarily something you're consciously thinking about, you know, like, oh, what's our brand identity? But when you, when you go to communicate things like, hey, we're the best brewery in Canada, you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily want it to come off that way, you know? Yeah. So you want to let people know without bragging and that's, you know. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, so speaking of, you know, the awards and, and everything that you've, you've accomplished to this date, um, my assumption is, is that you didn't think you'd be where you are now currently or have enjoyed the success, or did you think you are exactly where you thought you'd be, you know? Oh, and no, uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, yeah, back when I started the brewery, I was thinking of starting something smaller, um, and well, we made it, you know, I, I built a really small brewery that was brewing these, these specialty kind of, kind of oddball beers. Well, not necessarily oddball beers, but beers that are a little, uh, a little out of the mainstream. And, uh, we basically, we got ourselves to capacity after, you know, two and a half, maybe three years. And, uh, and I just realized that we couldn't possibly make enough money doing that. So I just took on a whole bunch more debt and we built a much bigger brewery and, uh, yeah, I never imagined that uh, that Daggerhead would be what it is now. Um, but, uh, you know, here we are. Do you think that the breweries that are opening up now, I know when you, you and I opened up breweries around the same time, that I know it was a struggle for Steel & Oak to find information on the business model that we wanted to try and achieve. And there weren't a lot of breweries open yet that we could, you know, not necessarily, well, mimic and, and at least say, hey, that's working. That's what we want to do. Do you think now that, that there are so many of us that breweries opening up today have an easier go just knowing what business models work and what doesn't and what size is the sweet spot for our province? Or do you think that people are still just kind of going into this blind being like, hey, I'm just going to open this big brewery with a huge brew house and people are just going to flock through my tasting room? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I think, well, for one thing, yes, that uh, the industry is more stable now than it was when we were opening. When we were opening, it was a time of enormous flux. There were a few breweries that opened in 2013 and then like 27 breweries opened in 2014 when we opened. Um, we had no idea what was working. And, you know, 
I was already under construction when I started to see what a success brass neck was, for example. Uh, you know, we didn't we didn't have that precedent established. But on the other hand, it, the what it always is, is that people look at breweries and they see who they think is succeeding, and they. But you can't really tell from the outside whether a brewery is really succeeding that well or not. So the information is not exactly public. You just you kind of form an impression. And I and I remember that when we had our big expansion, uh, you know, after we'd hit capacity, and I realized we couldn't make money, couldn't make enough money doing that. That uh, you know, I borrowed a bunch of money and we expanded, and everybody said, "Oh, you guys are a great success." I'm like, actually, we're doing this because we're failing. <laughs> like. <laughs> You know, so people, yeah, look at breweries and they think they see success, but you don't necessarily know what you're looking at. No, that's true. I think that's what, you know, with a lot of businesses, right? You know, and, and people see growth and, and, um, you know, I would remember when we first started selling beer to Alberta, um, which we don't anymore, but, um, but back in, in the days when we were trying to, you know, have some growth in the off season in January and February and that order would come in through to Alberta, you'd be like, yes, shit. Yes. Here's a pallet of beer. Give me some money. And, and everybody'd be like, Hey, congratulations. I see you're expanding into Alberta. And, you know, and in, in my, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, it's cause we're not making enough money in January. So we need to make it somewhere else. And, um, so it's, it's, you're right. The, the public perception of what's actually happening happening are two entirely different things um do you feel successful from a business point of view not necessarily from like an awards and who dagrad is because i think there's no argument that dagrad is a success um but from your day-to-day and 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 when you go home are you like yes i'm doing this properly and this is successful i, I think maybe the first time i started feeling like i was succeeding was last spring um so that's that's four years in that I yeah. finally started thinking, I, you know, I would say six months before that, I had this fear that I was locked into this business that I couldn't possibly leave. You know, we were making a little bit of money, but not enough <clears throat> that I, you know, we'd never be able to sell out, but I couldn't possibly leave it because it was the only way that we were going to possibly recover some of the money that was put into this business. And I thought, all right, this is just, just my life. You know, I'm doing this for 10 years. I'm, I'm having less fun at it and I feel like a failure. And, uh, you know, just a year ago, and I, who knows, maybe we'll be, we'll be back in that other spot in a year from now. But, uh, yeah, right now I feel like we're succeeding. Right? Yeah. Right now we're doing okay. I feel like it changes day to day. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, and, and I know with, uh, you know, it's Steel and Oak, like it's, uh, you know, we have way more good days than bad, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, a lot of, a lot of times we'll be sitting around and be like, yeah, we're, we're getting this. And I think you and I have talked about this before. Like, you know, at the end of 2017, you're like, I got this. And then 2018 hits and you're like, I don't know, I got this. 2018 is different than 2017. And I, I think too, like, uh, you know, and we've chatted before that it's hard to structure a proper growth plan in our industry just for the fact that trends and customers wants change so frequently and that, you know, you, you, you try and please them in one way and then what people want shifts right and i know you and i've um we, we talked about bomber bottles before and being that you're a you know belgian style brewery you still go pretty hard with uh with the bomber style bottles and um do you think that we'll ever get to a point where we're gonna revert back to those days where everybody's in 650 mils or or do you think that's over and and there's just going to be a few hangers on that can no way that's that's over i mean the market's spoken where you know the growth is where is going to be in cans for me it's difficult because we like bottle conditioning our beer and uh, we've can conditioned a few beers but uh i don't like that as much for a variety of reason i think the can market's a different market so what we're trying to do is stay true to ourselves in the bomber market keep brewing those 
those specialty beers, some of them are time consuming. We're bottle conditioning everything. I think the beer is better in, in bottles, mm-hmm. but I realize that there's a different style of beer that goes into cans. And so we have, you know, sort of lighter, more crushable beers. Uh, you know, the thirst quenchers are going into, uh, into cans and we're, we're going to try to hold on to our, our bomber market because I, I, I really do still believe in the beer that's in the bomber market, you know, or, or in our bombers is what I meant. Yeah. Do you, um, with, you know, being a Belgian style brewery and the market going towards cans and obviously I've had some of your more crushable beers and, and do you feel that, or maybe more does your team feel like that you're kind of hamstrung with what you're able to do creativity wise, just for the fact that you are kind of one of the very few breweries around that's like, we're Belgian, this is what we do. Um, and I don't ever see you kind of, you know, deviating from that because you've kind of solidified this, this chunk of market that you do so well. Um, but do you think it, it stifles creativity or do you think it actually, you know, enhances it because you have to be so hyper focused on, on a certain style that to be, you know, it's easy for anybody to make a sour IPA and throw fruit in it and be like, we're creative. But when you have these parameters that you have to stay in, you know, stay in these lines, um, you know, w- w- do you think that, that it makes you more creative or do you think that it, it stifles creativity? Yeah, I think the, I think the re- restraints actually like they help with our creativity that, you know, sometimes given given boundaries and constraints it it can you know help you you know basically find different find different ways of doing things and do different things that you'd never do otherwise now i i don't really feel like we're like running out of things to brew and and anyway the the beers that we brew are the beers that we like to brew you know it's it's what we want i never like think like oh geez i really wish i could brew an american pale ale like that's you know there's lots of good american pale ales in the market i really like the style myself and uh you know, but it's not it's not something that I, I feel like where my, my creativity is constrained. I, I think that, you know, Belgian beer is the most creative beer that there is. And the great thing about it is that, uh, yeah, there, it really has no boundaries. You know, there's Belgian breweries out there that have done like, okay, we're doing an English stout. And you taste it. It doesn't taste anything like an English stout. It tastes like a Belgian yeah. English stout, you know, and... And yeah, so I don't, I don't really feel like the boundaries are, uh, are drawn too closely around us. Um, yeah. yeah. That said, we're, we're kind of going outside of the box a little bit with some of our, uh, some of our, our can releases. Uh, they're getting a little bit less Belgian, maybe. You know, we're still using the same yeast mostly, but, uh, but yeah, we're, we're kind, of, kind of allowing ourselves to, to be a different brewery in those cans. Yeah. Uh, and also, especially when we do collab beers, you know, with, uh, we do a collaboration with another brewery. It's, well, it's not our fault. We're, we're doing this weird thing that isn't really dagger at, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, that's them. Don't, don't blame it on us. Yeah, don't blame those guys from New Westminster. Um, what made you want to start making Belgian beer? I, it's a beer I, I loved. You know, I, um, years ago, um, oh, geez, I, I got to find a number. Maybe it's 15, maybe it's 17 years ago. I was, was backpacking in Southeast Asia, and I met a bunch of Belgians there. And uh, we, we drank, you know. Southeast Asian beer at the time that has nothing to do with it but I met these people and I really liked them really got along with them and uh and I went and visited them uh a number of times in Belgium and just you know really seriously got into the beer uh and then you know I kept going back and then after a while I uh, I made another couple of trips that really weren't to see my friends they were to see the beer um because I was planning this brewery and um yeah, I just, uh, you know, I just, I find it's the broadest style and it's the freest style. And you're, you're allowed to do things. There's no Belgian Reinheitsgebot telling you that, you know, there's four ingredients in beer. It's like, yeah, if you want to add a spice, that's not cheating. That's just, you know, making the beer better. As long as it makes the beer taste better, you, you can put whatever you want into it. Yeah. And, and so when you were, when was the moment where you're like, I want to do this 
back home? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd been homebrewing for, uh, for years and was, was really getting into it. And I thought about a brewery before. Uh, I used to homebrew with my brother, Nate, who, uh, who now uh, owns Tangent uh, Cafe on Commercial Drive. Anyway, he and I at the time, uh, we, we'd actually run a, a landscaping business together for a couple of years. And then we were thinking, like, you know, we should open a brewery. And this is about 2010. And we're sitting at the bar at Alibi Room uh, drinking beers. And Ian Hill sits down next to us. And so we went like, oh, you know, Ian didn't really know us, but we knew who he was. So we t- started talking to him. We were saying, like, yeah, we'd like to open up a brewery. And we started this conversation with Ian Hill. And, uh, you know, we uh, started talking about beers. And uh, and then we booked another meeting with him. And we went down to the Yaletown Brew Pub um, and sat with him for a bit and talked about opening a brewery. And through that conversation Nate and I realized we didn't know what the hell we were doing like we realized that you know we needed to learn a bunch of stuff and meet a bunch of people before we could uh, think about doing that so yeah we shelved the idea for for a good couple of years did you think you realized that you didn't know what you were doing from a um from a uh, making beer standpoint or is it from the business side of things well the making beer standpoint i mean we were more or less pitching ian on maybe opening a brewery with us which yeah. as as we know now ian was was open to the idea at the time yeah uh but uh yeah we uh we realized that we just we didn't know what we were doing in terms of uh yeah in terms of of uh how to make beer and how to build a brewery and all that kind of stuff and uh and didn't even know enough to really like you know offer anything as a partner to Ian, who I obviously knew about all that kind of stuff. So, went back to the drawing board for a couple of years, um, and you know I I really you know boned up on being a beer nerd. Uh, Nate, on the other hand, uh, had a a wife who is uh, was finishing uh, culinary school and uh, and decided to, to go a different direction and uh, open a restaurant. Uh, and I uh, ended up. Uh, going to brewing school in the uk in uh in 2012 uh i think mainly it gave me confidence uh mainly what i learned at uh, at brewing school in england was that they didn't really know that much about brewing beer and they weren't very good at it <laughs> <laughs> anyway i uh i came home and uh started looking for uh for a job in the beer business and uh uh, ran into Ian Hill again. I was applying for a job at uh, at the Red Truck Brewery uh, yeah. under Dave Varga, and Red Truck Brewery was uh, was part of the Yale Town uh, or part of the uh, oh man. Mark James group. Mark James Group. Yeah. Thank you. It was part of the Mark James Group, so it was uh, Ian Hill was overseeing the whole thing. And uh, anyway, I, I did a I did a uh, basically an audition shift with Dave Varga, so I worked with Dave for a day. And then afterwards, I guess there was some discussion about hiring me, and Ian said, oh, no, that guy wants to open a brewery, and we're not going to hire him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always funny to see, because now Ian's gone on to open his own thing, and Varga's off somewhere else as well, right? So I guess everybody always has dreams of <laughs> yeah, going yeah. further, yeah. Everybody involved in that story uh, yeah. turned out to, to start a brewery sooner so or later. So you didn't get the gig with Varga, and then you thought, shit, I better get going on my own project? or Yeah, yeah, I actually, well, we we're it was heading into winter at the time, and no breweries were hiring, and but my original job job was that I'd get a job at a brewery for a year and kind of learn a little bit more and then I'd open my own brewery and uh you know to be honest I went into a pretty pretty bad depression I uh uh I uh, had uh, at the time undiagnosed multiple sclerosis and uh one of the symptoms of that disease is depression and I was in a bad state and uh more or less my wife kicked my ass and said like you have to do something you're not allowed to just sit around here which more or less was was what I was doing at the time 
So I got my shit together and just said, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do this. And um, I guess December 2012 was when I decided uh, that I was going ahead. Uh, it took ages. You know, I had a lease on my space in, I think, June 2013. Uh, so I spent kind of half a year trying to figure out where I was going to open this brewery. Yeah. Uh, you know, picked a spot that I think, you know, on balance is kind of a bad spot but you know whatever where <laughs> there we are and uh and then yeah yeah straight on from there uh six months of permitting three months of construction you know it takes ages to start one of these things it was well over yeah well over a year yeah and i think people don't realize that right i mean i know they when they see the brewery they're like wow it's a lot of there's a lot of stuff back there and a lot of plumbing and a lot of electrical but it's the the planning process and the actual um permitting process that takes such a long period of time i know we're mm-hmm. we're um steel and oaks doing this as you're aware steel and oaks doing a, a collaboration brewery in victoria with the the drake uh, eatery and we actually just got approved uh for a occupancy load of 178 people wow yeah which is for for those of you listening both ben and i have 50 people occupancy at, at steel and oak and daggerad so um yeah so 178 will make a big difference and uh and a 1 a.m. closing time on Friday and Saturday. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So, um, but, but that whole process, I mean, that we've had that building for a year and a half and it's still just under construction. Right. And, um, and, and quite often I think people, you know, I'm sure you feel just as many questions as I do, probably even more about, you know, people looking to get into our industry and saying, Hey, yeah, you know, it seems like really cool. It seems like a fun gig, get to make beer, go to those events, you know, travel. And, uh, I think we're going to do this and, um, what do I need to know? Right. And, um, and, and I know like internally, I kind of, I don't laugh, but I kind of, I get nervous and worried for that person that the amount of money they're going to invest and then get halfway down, down the road and be like, Oh shit, I don't have enough money or I can't complete this. And, um, and so, you know, and, and I think I, I feel like the days of that are kind of starting to come to an end in Vancouver. Like it feels like there's less and less breweries opening up than maybe there were a couple of years ago, but maybe I'm just not as in tune with what's actually happening out there just because we're so busy in our, our day to day lives. Um, so with that all being said, do you think that, you know, our market in Vancouver is at a point where it's going to start to get nerve wracking for some breweries out there that it's not necessarily peak beer, but the reckoning is coming. Yeah. I mean, but I've, I've been thinking this for several years, so don't listen to me. I mean, you know, I've always f- felt like, you know, frequently that there are a lot of breweries out there. I, I know that the wholesale market in particular is really crowded right now and that to establish a new brand and get, I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm not having to do that right now to try to get that shelf space. Now, you yeah. know, it was so much easier five years ago. Uh, but now, you know, the market's so crowded. There's so many breweries out there. Uh, but on the other hand, there's always a niche. You know, there's always a, a, like a neighborhood brewery that can open up in, a, in you know, given a geographical niche, mm-hmm. you, you might be able to find a spot in the market. What makes me nervous is when, you know, people I like, you know, who are saying, oh, I'm going to start a brewery. And they start telling me that, yeah, we, we have a 30 hectoliter brew house or, you know, like a really large brew house. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit. Holy shit. Well, what are you going to do with all that beer? You yeah. know, like. Yeah, I mean, you know, so many of my seasonals, I can't sell 30 hex of them, you know, and we have an established brand and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So if you have a minimum 30 hex of every every kind of beer that you brew or a minimum of 40, if you, you know, if I have a brew house that size, then like, what are you going to do with all of that beer? Yeah, I, I don't know either. Right. And I think it's the, the amounts of I know, you know, for us, we we have kind of a general 
50 hectoliter can rule for for season or limited releases that we get you know that we'll sell um i think for certain things we could probably do a bit more but you know for a bomber style beer i mean rarely do we go over 30 heck now for a limited release it's just you know it, it you know for some of the beers we'll we'll maybe do two batches over you know over the summer um but it's just wild to me that you know something that could have you know sold 100 to 120 hectoliters in in three months a year ago now we only brew 30 hectoliters of it because the market changes so fast and i think it's you know obviously that desire that people just want you know new things right what's new and um i know when we got on into the to the to the game the first beer we ever released was smoked half of ice and and that beer got us so much notoriety and people were wild about it and if you look at the production volume of smoked half of ice and it's just like going down a very slow slope and then all of a sudden it's like that slow slope gets to um el capitan and it just drops right off and um and we think we make what do we kevin 30 heck i think we're doing this 30 heck maybe this this summer right and that's down from 60 and that's down from 90 any worse that's better <laughs> <laughs> it's way better we know we know way you know we, we've tweaked it it's way better of a beer right but you know not as many you know a smoked wheat beer five years ago was fucking crazy yeah. and now it's not and um so i guess you know i mean you're a bit of a different scenario because you've kind of carved this nice niche out for yourself um, being that Belgian brewery, which I think, you know, whether you intended it or not is, is brilliant because, you know, you don't necessarily have to chase, chase kind of shiny things to, to attract more customers to, to your product. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's, do you think that there's, there's going to be this, this time where people are not going to want to just chase new styles, new beers all the time that they're going to start to come back to some of the old classic styles like lagers or even just like traditional west coast ipas or do you think that we're we're far enough gone that it's just going to be this this constant rotation of well sours are in this year well hazy ipas are this year well kvike beers are this year um you know do you think it's just going to be a cyclical thing that we all chase i think both i mean really when you look at your sales volumes uh you know are you not selling more of your your kind of your regular beers that's the majority of the beer sold on the market. It's not the majority of what people talk about, but the majority of the beer that, you know, Daggerad sells is Burnabarian and, and Blonde. You yeah, know, and first you'll know it's Royal City Ale. Right, right. These these good beers. They're not yeah. exciting, but they're they're drinkable because you don't you don't get tired of them. They don't have some gimmick to them that yeah. like becomes cloying after a while. It just it's just a good tasting beer. Uh where so of course, you know of course the uh you know the specialty beer thing, the the, the seasonal releases or the the one offs and that kind of stuff. Are it's just going to keep going and it's just going to keep changing. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know how long how long we're going to sustain interest for that kind of stuff. But the important thing is that the majority of the beer that's being sold on this market, in any market, is just it's beer. It's beer flavored beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you, you're totally right. We talk about this all the time at Steel and Oak that it's easy to get lost in chasing trends because of social media social media is our you know it's, a, it's a, such a great gift that we get to you know show thousands of people what we're doing for free basically and and market to them and say hey we've got this come down check it out um but at the same point in time you start to become um 
you're kind of hypersensitive to what a very core group of people are talking about. And so I think you, you think something is more important or is um, more um, sought after than it actually is. And I know like Royal City Ale for us is, is our best selling beer by a lot. And, uh, and then a close second would be, or in second would be Red Pilsner. Well, I can count on one hand the amount of posts I've been tagged in, you know, taking photos of both of those beers in the last couple of weeks, right? Where, you know, we just came out with a new IPA today or yesterday. And already, like, you know, that's people are, you know, taking photos of it. People are drinking it. People are trading it. Um, but it's a very small group of people that are very vocal and so i think it's the toughest challenge to like try and you know realize that well that should be your focus to help grow your brand you know because they do talk about it they post about it other people see it um they influence other people that may be new to craft um you know our bread and butter is probably you know somebody in their 40s drinking royal city ale right and um but we just don't talk about it because it's 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 i guess it's for lack of a better word boring yeah i mean uh what, what else is there to say about this beer, though? I mean, it's yeah. a good beer. There's nothing... It's a good beer that sells well. Yeah. ...about Royal City Ale. Like, what do you say this week? What do you post on social media this week about Royal City Ale? Like, yeah. Hey. No, we have this, this stupid IPA we're putting out. It's just a really dumb idea. That's what we're putting out. <laughs> you're you're going to love it. You're going to love, love it. You're going to love it. And pick up a four-pack of Royal City Ale while you're at it, please. You're going to love it for a week. And fortunately, it'll be sold out in two weeks because you won't be interested in buying it again in three weeks. <laughs> Do you think it's our fault or... The customers, I don't want to say customer's fault because don't stop buying steel and oak, but, <laughs> but do you think that we're, I mean, I think it's easy as the producers of beer to bitch and moan about like, okay, people only want something new. We have to, let's, let's, let's do something again. Let's tweak this. Let's, let's put this new cool label out on this beer because we, we need attention. Um, and so we feed the cycle as well. Of course um, we do, yeah. I mean, and we created it. And so I think we're just accelerating what, you know, that that this is now the new premise of craft beer, right? Which is, which I think too, like I don't want to sound like I'm hating on it because I got into this business because I liked flavors and experiencing different things. And so, you know, our original brewer was German trained and, and he was talking about, you know, when in Germany, most breweries are like, why would you make more than one beer? Unless the one beer you make is the best beer, why would you bother making a second one until that one is the best? Which I guess makes sense, sort of, but it's boring as hell. And so, you know, I think from a creativity point of view, like I think what's happening now is something we probably always really wanted. It's just now that we want run manufacturing facilities, it's a fucking pain <laughs> in the ass. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be, it would be way more profitable if you could just choose a new beer and then sell 500 heck of it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's not how the market's working. I mean, it's it's a complex. It's not like it's our fault or their fault. It's just something that we're all doing together, us yeah. and the other breweries and all of our consumers. And we've just, you know, it's just a, a the system feeds back on itself in, in various ways. And now suddenly we have breweries that are, are doing a new can release every single week from their tasting room. Like... What a great intro, Ben, because <laughs> right in front of me, uh, I have a uh, single barrel death blow uh, from our buddies over at Twin Sales. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get to brew a beer with those guys a couple weeks ago. I think it's coming out next week, although this podcast will be <laughs> a little stale dated at that point. But um, yeah, talk about a brewery that all of a sudden was kind of, I mean, I, I, I'm hesitant to say pioneer of, uh, no offense, Cody and the Twin Sales crew, pioneers of 
creating this limited release craze, but they sure as hell did a f- like a fantastic job of it. Like I don't think you can argue that there's a more hyped brewery in Vancouver outside of maybe Superflux, I would say, than Twin Sales at this point. But man, that must be a challenge to run that operation of of new beers every week. I, I can't imagine it. I'm it stresses me out to do what. What? Oh jeez. There it is. So this thing, just so you know, um, we're recording this at like 10 o'clock in the morning, but this is 11.6%. So, um, so pour me a big one. I only brought taster glasses, which, uh, you know, we can have two of them. But uh, <laughs> there, sir. So, yeah, we've got a uh, barley wine here from our pals over in Port Moody, uh, Twin Sales. And uh, they're definitely a brewery that's kind of done this limited release craze really, really well. Um, I can't remember. We were brewing there three weeks ago, and... One of their brewers told me I think they were doing like 52 beer releases this year. Something bonk, maybe even more than that. I, I can't. It was it was insane. Um, and uh, we're drinking an 11.6 percent barley wine from them called Death Blow, single barrel Death Blow. Um, and we're not gonna be uh, this. This podcast isn't intended to be a, a beer tasting podcast, so we're not even gonna talk about it. We're just gonna enjoy it and see if our language gets more. Um, Loose. Loose. <laughs> <laughs> um, so going back to kind of Vancouver and, and or greater Vancouver, I should say, um, actually, I think I have to say Metro Vancouver now, not even greater Vancouver. Do you feel that Vancouver Metro van as a whole is at craft beer destination point right now? Or do you still think we have a lot of work to do to start to say that we can compete with, um, you know, places like Portland? Um, I, I think it should be. Uh, I don't know what other perception uh, for in other cities is of our craft beer scene, but I think it should be. I, I find that, uh, and I haven't been to Portland in many years. I opened a brewery and stopped traveling. Um, but uh, I, I just find that uh, in Vancouver, we put out a really interesting variety of beers. We're not so IPA focused as, as other markets are. That like you you can go around and, and find all these these crazy styles of beer that have nothing to do with hops often, and that's what I find interesting in a beer destination. I'm not hating on IPAs, but you know you you don't want to go somewhere just to drink 50 IPAs. You wanna you wanna go there and experience a variety of beers. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think it's it's uh, I I tend to agree. I was down in San Francisco visiting some friends. Um, uh, this was last year and and obviously and I was down there without kids I have a couple kids as well and and um and so we went down there and of course because we didn't have kids we just drank and ate a lot and um went to some great breweries down there um and but on the 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 car ride back to the airport I said to my wife I was like you know what nothing here was better than what you can get at home it was all good it was all great actually but it made me realize how great we actually do have it. And, um, and when you go to some markets that are still in their infancy that, you know, I won't mention, but you can tell, right? You can tell there's promise there, but they're not there yet. And I suspect that's probably what people figured uh, or, or at least, you know, tasted when they would travel to Vancouver maybe five years ago. And obviously there were the breweries that we always, you know, were, were you know, we were always very proud of and, and well sought after like the Driftwoods of the world and the kind of the pioneers of, of our industry. Um, but I, I really do feel like right now that it's the, the industry is in a good spot in Vancouver as, as a whole, especially from a, a customer point of view. Um, what worries you, do you think, the most about our industry? 
I guess the emergence of uh, of a monoculture, you know, that uh, when you start seeing certain styles taking off, uh, you know, hazy IPAs or whatever. But you know, whether whether we're just we're going back to the days of lager, except it's just a different style of beer, you know, yeah. you know the uh, I don't I don't I don't I don't mean lager. I mean you know mass-produced lager i mean you know your molson canadian fighting kokanee you know with the exact same beer fighting each other i don't want to see a a a lessening of variety and um and you see that in some american markets where where like you go out to a bar you know a beer bar and they'll have 50 taps and like 45 of them are ipas you know and that's i I don't want that i want to be able to choose more than one style of beer when i go out yeah i was at a a brewery in this was in new york a couple years ago and and um the whole board was IPA or double IPA. That was it. And the crazy thing was, is, is I was super excited to be there and we were drinking beers and, and one was, you know, dry hopped with Vic secret and one was Motueka and like it just, and then, but then they all started to like, after you got through the aroma and you'd be like, Oh yeah, I can, I, I can smell that. That's that hop super distinct. It all just starts to taste the same. And you realize cause the, the, the malt bill and the yeast strain is all the same. It's just really just, you know, with, I don't want to call it laziness. It's because uh, I think it's giving people what they want. You know, the place was packed, and and so that's obviously you know we're 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 in a. I think it's tough when you start one of these. It's normally because you're passionate about beer and you want to make a certain style because you love it, just like you did with with Dagrad. But uh, um, I know a, a friend of mine, Chad, that owns Wander Brewing down in Bellingham. Um, I saw Chad speak at a, a hop school event in Yakima, and. And he said something that was like, and I don't know why I never, <laughs> I never thought of it, about it that way, but he's like, we're talking about a hazy IPA and he doesn't like the style. Um, uh, at least I think that's what he said. I don't want to put words in Chad's mouth, but, um, but what he, what he, what he said that resonated with me is that we don't, we're not in this business to make beer for ourselves. We make beer for other people. We're a hospitality company, right? We, the goal is to make other people happy. And if they want to drink fucking hazy IPA, then give them hazy IPA. You know, you have to be careful not to like lose who you are. Um, but, um, but I think, you know, you can't just be so pigheaded to just be like, nope, I'm only making smoked Hefeweizen because that's what we like is well, smoked well, you can. German beers. I can, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Says the guy that's got a double, I, double hazy IPA in my fridge right now. <laughs> Although that was made at our place. So that's more my fault than Ben's. But, uh. <laughs> um, so if you were going to do this again from the beginning, what would you, would you do anything differently? Do you think? Oh man. <laughs> knowing, what, knowing what you know now, where the industry is right now, like if you were going to open a brewery, actually, let me let me rephrase that. Not if you were going to open a brewery again in 2014 when you guys opened, but if you were going to open a brewery, let's call it 2020, what would that brewery look like? Would it be the same Dagrad in the same location? I don't think I could do Dagrad again. I don't think it would work. I don't think Dagrad would have worked a year earlier. It wouldn't have worked two years later. It barely worked when I did it. I, uh, I don't think I would try that again. <laughs> you know, I mean... Yeah, like you said, that, you know, we're in a hospitality industry. We should be brewing what our customers want, and I didn't do that. Nobody was clamoring for Belgian-style beers, you know, bottle-conditioned Belgian-style beers. Yeah. Well, maybe they, they were, but there were 20 of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Nobody was clamoring for that. I just went and did it and uh, nearly went out of business in my first year because of it. Um, and now to, to try to come into the market and do it now, I mean, it would be, it'd be nonsense to try to do that. 
Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I think that there there's room in the market for uh, for kind of neighborhood focused, uh, you know, a geographic niche places, uh, community focused, and you know, get a good location and focus on your tasting room, and then uh, you know maybe do a little bit of package sales uh, beside, but mostly focus on your own community, and that's that's more of what I would do. Yeah, and would you do it in Burnaby? I don't know. Burnaby's pretty underserviced uh, yeah. in terms of breweries. Uh, but I, I wouldn't do it in my exact location. I mean, we're close to a SkyTrain, which is nice, but we're, we don't have a lot of residential population density around us. And it's yeah. not, you know, it's the opposite of a high street location where we're not even on the street. We're tucked down this parking lot. There's no sidewalks either. There's, there's no, we're, okay, we're going to get those before oh, the end I of the year. Right, yeah, Burnaby Engineering assures me we're going to have sidewalks by the end of the year. Watch me eat my words. But <laughs> um, what is the beer that you're the most proud of? Oh, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. I mean, I opened the brewery to brew blonde, and I still love that beer. You know, it's a Belgian-style blonde beer. It's 7.5% alcohol. It's like nobody really makes anything like that in uh, in BC. Maybe that's partially because I did, you know. they uh, Like, why would we make a lesser version of this? That, that's right. I mean, that, 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 that beer is great. Uh, you know, I uh, I love Burnabarian. It's fortunate that, like, I can say that, that I love our flagship beers. You know, those are our, our two mainstays, and that's... Uh, those are the beers I'm really proud of. Um, what was the, what's the beer that you're the least proud of or that you either wish you didn't brew or that, or maybe even say something that you thought should have been more well-received than it was? Oh, oh man. We've made so many beers. Uh, there's been a couple. Of, I, don't, I don't think I've brewed anything that, that I feel ashamed of. You know, I don't think we put out anything that I think like, oh, man, we're bad people. I never should have done that beer. Yeah. Uh, one of my least favorite beers we ever put out was our original version of Dewitta. Uh, Dewitta now is a it's a sour beer that has uh, passion fruit in it. The original version didn't have passion fruit, and our fermentation was a little bit our sour fermentation was a little bit rough. It wasn't a great beer. It was the first beer we ever won a medal for. And I, I we, we went to the our first BC Beer Awards. We only had three beers. We had our two our at the time uh, our two flagship beers, which is Blonde and Amber, and we had our, put out our first seasonal, which was Dewitta. And we went into the BC Beer Awards with those three beers. And I'm thinking, like, yes, this is the best Belgian-style beer we've ever made. Thinking of Blonde, of course. Best Belgian-style beer in the market. And we win an award for DeWitt. And I was just, like, just gritting my teeth, going, like, okay, I grudgingly accept. I didn't like this beer. <laughs> so, <laughs> expanding on that, because we kind of talked about it in the intro, and, and obviously you guys are Canadian Brewery of the Year for another month and a bit, I guess. Um, what are you feeling on awards in general? Like, I know, you know, it's always easy to say, like, at Steel and Oak, we've always been fortunate at the BC Beer Awards. We're never as fortunate as the, at the Canadian Brewing Awards. So when we don't win something, we always kind of internally be like, well, you know, we don't make a ton of beers to style. You know, it's it's a lot of things can happen. But then when you do win something, you're like, oh, yeah, this is really important. This is, this is this meaningful. Is, this, this is, you know, this is, <laughs> this is a very important thing. Um, because I know that you were you're a beer judge for a while, and and so what is your you know without obviously we we love I personally think that the BC Beer Awards um, is one of the funnest events of the year, and we always look really look forward to it, whether we do well at them or not. It's it's a well run um, festival. I think it's kind of the one opportunity I feel throughout the year where we get to go and hang out together and celebrate each other. Um, but um, but what what is your opinion on on the judging of beer just in general? Well, uh, in general, it's it's hard for a bad beer to win a win an award, but it's really easy for a good beer to lose. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of it's in judging. It's really easy to have false negatives. You have one judge who's 
you know, a little bit off. And, you know, we're, we're not talking about, you know, calibrated instruments. We're talking about human organisms. And no matter yeah. how much you train people, you know, you're not always going to be right. And I've had, I've seen score sheets come back with, you know, misidentified off flavors. And I know they're yeah. misidentified off flavors because if there was going to be an off flavor in that beer, it would have been something else, you know? Yeah. I've had people say that, you know, like, oh, the, you know, there's a strong smell of, of diacetyl in this, this amber ale. Well, our, our yeast doesn't even really produce diacetyl. I've never tasted it at any stage of the fermentation. Yeah. But they say, oh, yeah. I, I had one judge say, I'm not very good at smelling diacetyl, but this one reeks of it. Like, <laughs> You really aren't very good at smelling diacetyl, <laughs> but that's you know that's that's like a like a false negative or a false positive on the aroma, and it happens. Uh, good beers lose out at awards all the time. Um, if you win an award, it probably means your your beer is pretty good, but it doesn't mean it was the best in that category. No. So you always take the the results of these awards with a, with a grain of salt, you know. Yeah. And we've always done really well in uh, in beer awards. I mean. Virtually everything we've ever entered, uh, uh, except for the World Cup of Beer. Humble we, brag. We, we, uh, this isn't humble. I'm just bragging. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, uh, we, uh, we've won something almost uh, at every award. But uh, it's partly because we, we enter beers into categories where yeah. you know, there, there aren't that many entries. It's really hard to win a medal in an IPA category. Oh, well, we did that once, too. But anyway, it's really hard to win a, a medal in an IPA category. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> there's loads of entries or like American Pale Ale, like you're up against 100 beers. You know, it's it's so hard for your beer to come through. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, in those Belgian style categories, especially when we we focus on that, like we're really good at brewing Belgian style beers because it's kind of all we do, you know. Uh, and yeah, so we, we win a lot of awards, whereas other breweries that are, are making IPAs and Pale Ales and stuff like that. Are, are putting these beers in and you know if they win an award it's like it's it's borderline miracle because there are so many beers entered in those categories yeah no i it's 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 fine like i think about not just because they're drinking their death blow right now but like at the bc beer awards i was i'm not shocked because they make a lot of ipa but like for twin sales to win all three have first second and third in the same category is pretty crazy especially in a category that's so well entered like that right and and i know you guys always tend to clean up at at uh at the bc beer awards in the belgian categories which makes a ton of sense we've we've never swept a category though and no and twin sales did in a in a bigger noisier category which is really impressive fuck those guys man fuck those guys <laughs> <laughs> so with that all being said who's winning canadian brewery of the year this year who's taking it from you or are you winning oh, it again oh i like our chances <laughs> <laughs> do you okay let me ask you this did you enter the same beers in the same categories that won it for you last year for uh, those of you that don't know the canadian brewing awards it's got kind of a unique thing where i think you can enter up to 10 beers but you have to pick four of your entries that they can only be judged towards winning canadian brew of the year so it kind of limits breweries from just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks and so you actually have to pick the four beers that you think are going to be the best uh judged so you could win six awards and a brewery could win two but if that brewery won two awards in the four that they picked, the four beers that they picked uh, to be judged towards winning brewery of the year, um, you know, that brewery would win. So obviously you're good at picking beers for categories and knowing what should be what, what your best chances are. Yeah, we, we won three gold medals and we picked all three of those yeah. beers as our beers. Um, we've sent some of the, a bunch of the same ones back and picked them again. I mean, you know, chances are we we won't win, but chances are extremely good. <laughs> we won't win. Yeah, but uh yeah, it is a bit of a weird system. I mean, I think it made more sense when there were fewer breweries entering, but we're at the point now where you're not necessarily going to get breweries that, you know, win multiple awards. There's not that many uh, breweries that win more than one. And, you know, did they win an award in the category that they picked? Yeah. So you might 
like what are they going to do when nobody's got more than one gold medal in, the, and in the category and there's pick. several of them how do they pick brewer of the year then that's uh, a really great question I'm, I know. I'm glad that's not my uh, I'm glad that's not up to me because huh yeah no I never thought of it that way but you're, you're, you're yeah you're right I hope it's a problem for steel and elk. <laughs> Just so that everybody kind of has an idea of if, you know, if they're listening and that they're not in Vancouver, um, just kind of the scale of, of Dagrad beer and how big you guys actually are. Um, you know, how many hectoliters are you going to, you know, do you normally produce in, in a given year and, and kind of staffing do you have? Um, like how many people run that spot with, with you? We just hired two people uh, bringing us up to 16. That includes me. That includes everybody in the tasting room. That includes our delivery driver, a uh, couple of sales staff, and, and the whole brewing team. So we're up to 16 staff. We were running with, with 14 for, for quite a few months there. Uh, yeah, and uh, the amount of beer we brew, I uh, can't remember the exact number, but I've, I've always been telling people that it's something like three tablespoons per year for every resident of British Columbia. <laughs> it's pretty good. Three tablespoons of beer. Yeah, it's not a big brewery. Yeah, and, and do you find that, um, that that's the, the perfect amount of people? To run that brewery, do you find you're over? Do you, do you feel sometimes like you're overstaffed or understaffed, or, or does it does it vary dependent on on I guess the seasonality of the business? I, I seldomly feel overstaffed. We uh, we run a pretty lean crew, and basically I'm I'm the universal uh, you know person who fills in. Uh, you know I'm I'm uh, I'm the floater, so I I brew and I do a lot of admin work and I fill in for people when they go on vacation and it's it's tough. It's a lot of work. Um, we uh, we just hired a couple of people that are, are going to make my summer a lot better than last summer was. When yeah. uh, our volumes were increasing last summer because we started canning for the first time ever, and there's loads of beer going out the door, and we were we were just swamped for for months for uh, for summer. This summer, I'm looking forward to a better summer. Yeah. And do you find that like uh, just being the owner of the business, but still working so deep in it that you're actively trying to figure out, you know have people take over those certain jobs from you so that you can either a get a great vacation or or eventually decide to to exit the day-to-day of stealing or the day-to-day of dagrad and um and do something different yeah i'd love to be able to i'm nowhere near that right now there's certain parts of the business that you know i do them um i remember when we were first going i i basically did kind of everything and it was so hard for me to 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 delegate and let go of certain things and it was the most liberating thing in the world when i finally just like pushed jobs away from myself uh, so I've done that with a lot. I've got really good people who really have my back, but there are just a couple of things that nobody else does. Yeah. Does that worry you? Yeah. 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 We, I, I think about that here too. And, and it's kind of one of the things that I'm, um, you know, at Steel and Oak, we, we don't have any more space. So we're, we're kind of where we're at. We can make a little more beer and we should and sell a little more beer, which we should. And, and, um, but this is kind of us now. Yeah. And so this year has kind of been my goal from a business side to, to start to hand off those tasks and jobs to other people so that I can eventually step away and do something different or in help increase the business elsewhere or, or put a, put the um, effort into a new project. And it is the hardest thing. And I think, you know, the, somebody told me like, it's the best thing you can actually do for your staff is to leave for a couple right. of weeks and let them just do it. Because, um, a, when you're there, it's easy to, to, to just rely upon that person to help make the decision. Um, and, um, but, but B, you know, you've, you've empowered them to take your baby and just to, to deal with it and that you've trusted that they're going to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least right enough that it's not going to burn down while you're, while you're gone. Um, 
have you taken ever have you ever taken more than a couple weeks away from the brewery since you guys have opened no never more than two yeah um yeah it's one of the attractive things about growing someday you know and i i always wanted to run a small brewery doing specialty beer so that part of the attractive thing about doing being a small brewery is that you can then brew more of the beer you like rather than having to you know brew things that are, are just going to be popular but on, on the one of the most attractive things about scaling up is that you get to hire people you get to hire people you have the money to hire people and then you don't have to work so fucking hard and um yeah but i, uh, I we're like you i mean i think we're we're pretty much going to be our uh we're going to approach our terminal size this year you know i'm thinking that uh we're, we're going to maybe do 3,000, 3,200 hex this year. We're never going to do probably more than about 3,500. Like, we're, we're there. So I've got to find a way in the size of the business with the revenue that we have to try to make my life a little bit more livable. Because it's, uh, I mean, it's gotten a lot better in the last couple of years. But, uh, yeah, I've got to be able to, to, to be able to take a vacation for a few weeks and just... Uh, and uh, and get more people trained on more parts of the job so that I can leave. Yeah. And do you think that long term for for your vision for Dagrad and and obviously is, you know, you take care of your your people as they grow in the business. But, you know, if you're going to be a brewery that's going to have a finite size and and that you're going to be content with and you're going to you know improve the revenue for that and hopefully improve your profit margin, become more efficient. Um, do you ever feel that there you're almost your hands being forced that you need to expand or get into other things to help those people grow can, you know, can continually and, and outside of Dagrad that, that the, the ceiling is going to be, you know, here for everybody. So what do you do when they get up to that, that point? Right. When you're, when you're in a, in a infinite growth phase, you can always apologize to people for underpaying them by promising them things in the future. Uh, that's what you're talking about really is that, you know, there's, there's room for you to grow. Uh, and I've been talking about this as being our terminal size for, for a couple of years now. I'm very open about it with our staff. Uh, it's made hiring hard sometimes because I talk to people and they think, oh, you're not going to keep growing. Well, I'm not interested in being part of that business. And fair enough, you know, I just have to be open with people about it. We're, we're trying to get into a state of profitability right now where I can afford to pay people better. And yeah. it's a problem in our industry. It has been for, for ages where... Yeah, people are, are underpaid. People are underpaid because they want, they want to do the work so badly that, you know, breweries are able to underpay them. But the problem with that is that people take a vacation in craft beer, and they, they'll work in craft beer for a few years, and then it's like, okay, well, I have to grow up, you know? Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, got, my, I got my wife pregnant. Well, I guess I'm not going to work in craft beer anymore yeah. because I can't afford to. And as an industry, I think that uh, we, like, for this industry to be sustainable, we can't just be milling through people like this and, no. you know, have people who come in, work for two years, go, okay, now I need money and leaving. We need to actually start paying them. And, and I'm working on that. You know, I'm bringing in a bonus system this year, yeah. uh, just generally increasing wages across the board. I don't think anybody's ever going to get rich working for me. In fact, I know, I know they aren't. I'm not going to either. Uh, but I need... Uh, I need people to, to have this be a reasonable life and a re- have a reasonable quality of life in this incredibly expensive city of ours. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the key. We, you know, I don't think anybody's ever been on their deathbed and been like, oh, I wish I was richer. They're, it's always, I wish I had more time or, or I, I did something that I loved, right? Which I think is why this industry is attractive to people. Um, and there was a, um, we had one of the brewers from Almanac, um, yeah, from San Francisco. Uh, I guess they're in San Francisco or greater San Francisco area. I can't remember. Um, but he was here a couple of days ago and just commenting on the cost of living here, but what minimum wage is in Vancouver and how you can't, 
you can't possibly live on that, right? Like the minimum wage, I think is 15 something an hour, but the living wage is something like 2160. And I don't think in, in our industry, I don't think you, you definitely don't purposefully underpay people. Um, I think it's, it's kind of also gets tied to the fact that we run inefficient manufacturing businesses Mm -hmm. that are too small to, to really (laughs) generate a ton of, of, uh, of, of, of profit because we don't operate them efficiently enough because we're not large enough to enjoy those economies of scale, right? That a bigger brewery is, but we're all still so passionate about the actual craft of things that we never see ourselves getting so big that we become this conglomerate that, you know, makes four beers and has to send it cross country. Um, because, you know, uh, you know, internally, and I think emotionally we're like, well, that's just us selling out without actually selling the business. And so I think it's, it's a struggle to like, figure out okay well we want to be small and nimble and make cool shit and and have people love it and be a community space yet we want to grow to a certain point where all our people can be paid properly and i I know at steel and oak and and it's part of mine and my business partner jamie just our nature anyways is that we don't necessarily want to see steel and oak grow too big because we want it to be small and nimble and cool and and us to be able to kind of shift as 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 we'd like but to be able to start to do different projects and and you know maneuver people around to other things or, or to hopefully grow, you know, our, you know, I don't want to say group of companies because it sounds like we're bigger than we actually are, but, you know, to try and find other ways and unique, um, positions for people to grow to, um, because, you know, steel and Oak's going to have a ceiling and this is probably going to be the profit margin that we're going to make when it hits that ceiling. And even if we get way more efficient, it's still, we're still going to have to figure something else out so that when people are in their fifties, not cool enough to be at a brewery, no, <laughs> but, um, you know, what, what are they going to do and how are we going to pay them? Right. And so, but I think that's probably a struggle with most businesses of our size is to take care of the people that, you know, that, that help build it. Yeah. Um, and to hold on to them for long enough. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. Well, you know, well, still not running yourself into the ground, I guess, um, financially. Um, we're going to, um, close it up pretty quick here um i want to just ask um what is something that you didn't realize you'd have to deal with in this industry that you now deal with all the time and it could be business it could be beer could be anything well i guess uh, i thought that i was going to be running a much smaller business so i uh the, some of the human resources issues were uh yeah something i never really wanted to to deal with i mean fortunately right now in particular i have a really good crew so we don't have a lot of a lot of internal strife but there has been at times where you know i'm necessarily as a boss being called in as a mediator to to conflicts and things like that and i'm thinking oh i just want to fucking make beer leave me leave me alone (laughs) yeah and uh two more questions um best brewery in bc making beer right now that's not named steel and oak and dagrad so you don't have to feel guilty about sitting across the table from me oh shit <laughs> who do you who do you who do you i mean i know you drink your own beer the most but uh what what beer do you normally drink the most of that's not i get out a lot less ever since yeah. i've had twins fair uh, enough so i used to have a way better look around the market uh but yeah i, I have some some go-tos for sure i mean you know, uh, if I see Brassneck on tap when I when I'm out, I, I really frequently uh, drink my buddy Conrad's beer. Uh, another go-to that you know, it's partly a go-to because it's everywhere. But uh, uh, 33 Acres of Ocean 
pale ale. I haven't I just, had that in a long time. I just actually. think it is a solid pale ale. Yeah. Uh, same thing goes for uh, for steel uh, for uh, Strange Fellows Talisman. Like, yeah. it is such a great light beer, a four percent alcohol beer, and it's just just a beauty of a beer. Yeah. I wish we could sell so, like f- like lower ABV beers for a decent price. Yeah. Because it's really it's such a difficult market to swim in, and the fact that that <clears throat> Strange Fellows has been able to do it is incredible. Um, and then I guess the last question I want to end on is. What gives you the most hope in our industry and, and makes you, you know, feel um, super positive of where we're going just as, as a beer industry as a whole? Um, and that could be regionally, that could be for you personally, that could be, you know, um, internationally, I guess. I think the, right now the fact that some breweries are, are engaging in you know, the, the, the prevalent low key sexism and the prevalent low key racism of our industry. And I, I don't necessarily mean that, you know, that this industry is run by Nazis, but this industry is run by white men. And, and I think brewery, I see breweries actually engaging a little bit and hiring differently. And, and I'm hoping this doesn't just turn into a country club for upper middle class white guys, you know, who, who want a fun job. You know, this has to be inclusive and we have to, open the industry to other people uh otherwise it won't be sustainable in the long run yeah and i mean i think it's embarrassing actually as an industry as a whole it's embarrassing yeah okay well we'll end it there that's another topic (laughs) we could talk about that for a couple hours um i want to thank uh my guest for the first episode of beer life uh ben coley from dagrad brewing thanks for coming on the show all right thank you jordan all right thanks kevin for producing and not talking um we'll see you for episode two